Okay. Hi, everyone. So we're really on the top of 18A, but it's really in the middle of the Gemara that we started yesterday. So just going to go over outside what we did yesterday, and then we will start reading inside from what we are reading new today. So the Mishnah told us that if someone has a dead body, someone who is a close relative of theirs, and he is mutal lefana, which the simple reading of that means that the dead body is in front of them, right? So then they are exempt from all mitzvahs at that time, while that dead body is in front of them. So the Gemara then asked, right, why is it, the Mishnah seems to imply that only if that dead body is actually in the same room with you are you exempt from Shema and all other mitzvahs. But if the dead body is not with you in the same room, then indeed you should be obligated to do the mitzvahs. And the Gemara asked from a, from a, um, a Brisa, and the Brisa explained, seemed to explain that whether the dead body is in front of you and you're in a different house, or whether, the whether the dead body is in one house and you're in another house, the dead body is in one house, you're in the same house, different room, or whether you're actually in the same room as the dead body, no matter what, you are exempt from the mitzvahs and you don't say Shema. Seeming to imply that whether the body is with you or not, both ways you are going to be exempt, not like the, the implication of our Mishnah. So the Gemara, we're going to read the first answer that the Gemara gives. The first answer is, it is about uh, 11, 12 lines down in, on 18a. And it's Amar of Papa. Rav Papa says, That which it says in the Brisa that you are exempt from all other mitzvahs when you have a dead body with you, that is not referring to all the cases in the Brisa, including the cases when you're even a in a different house. It's only referring to the case in which you're actually in the same room as the dead body and you're permitted to eat as long as you turn your face away from the mita, from the coffin. You're permitted to eat food if you turn your face away. So on that, the Brisa continues and explains that in that specific situation where you're actually in the same room as the dead body, there you are exempt from all other mitzvahs. So therefore, the Brisa and the Mishnah are both saying the same thing. If you're actually in the same room, you're exempt from mitzvahs. Rav Ashi Amar, however, Rav Ashi, a different Amar, comes along and gives a different answer. So Rav Ashi says like this, it, when the Mishnah told us, Misha one who the dead, his dead one is lying in front of him. It doesn't mean lying in front of him in the literal sense. What it means is one whose dead body is muto on him is dependent on him to be the person to take care of burying him, right? So, that it is up to him to bury this person, it is as if it is lying in front of him, and therefore he is exempt from doing mitzvahs. So what it means is that when the person who he is obligated to bury is now in the state of where it needs burial, then he is exempt from doing mitzvahs. And then it works beautifully with the price, because the price is saying the same thing. He's someone who's obligated to bury someone, therefore he's he is now currently exempt from doing other mitzvahs. Now, how do we know that we can use this concept of that when someone, we have to bury someone, we call that mutal lefanov, as it says in the Torah, that Avram gets up from on top of Sarah, his dead, his dead wife, and he says, and I shall bury my dead one from in front of me. So we see that at the entire time period that it is an obligation on you to bury the dead person, it's as if you're literally right in front of it. Whether you're actually in front of it or not right in front of it, that is the way that we are, uh, we are want to describe this situation. And therefore, the mission is not referring to where you're actually in the same room. Rather, it's referring to where you just have an obligation to bury that person. So the Gemara says, okay, according to Ravashi, the implication is 
that if you're in the same room with a dead person who is not a dead person who you are obligated to bury, then indeed you'd be obligated to do all mitzvahs. But we're going to ask a question, that's not true. So inference from Rav Ashi was, may say in, if you actually have a dead relative yourself who needs to be buried, then you are exempt from mitzvahs. But if you are just in a scenario where you happen to be the shomer, the guardian. So the halacha is that if someone passes away, up until the time of burial, there's supposed to be someone in the room with them to watch over them. It's unclear exactly what that watching is for. The Gemara later on is going to give us a reason what that watching is for. Now, implication is when you're in that scenario where you're watching over someone's body, but it's not someone who you're obligated to bury, then indeed you are obligated to do mitzvahs. That would be the implications of the implication of Rev Ashi's words. The question is, we learned in a Bryson. If someone is in a position where they are watching over a dead body, even though it is not their dead body, in other words, it's not someone upon whom they have the obligation to bury, someone who's a very close relative, who then they're considered to be someone they have an obligation to bury. They happen to be taking a shift for the Chaber Kedisha and staying here with this dead body. They are exempt from Kriyashma and they are exempt from Shemunah. And from all mitzvahs that are discussed in the Torah. So over here we see that even if you're just watching someone, you still are exempt from mitzvahs. <laughs> Excuse me. What we see from here is that in either of these two criteria are fulfilled, then you're obligated, then you're exempt from mitzvahs. Either if you are someone who has a dead relative who you're obligated to bury, and you haven't yet gotten around to bury, you're exempt from the, from all other mitzvahs. And that's true even if you're not sitting together in the same room. Or if you're sitting together in the same room with someone, even though you have no obligation to bury them, there's still a different reason you shouldn't be doing mitzvahs. So the way we, we understand this, if you're sitting in the same room with someone who's no longer in a position to do mitzvahs at all, it would be disrespectful to them to do a mitzvah in front of them. That's how we understand why if you're not in any sort of obligation to them, why you shouldn't do it. And the way we understand the other thing, that if you have a dead relative, if you're doing a mitzvah, then that's detracting from your ability to carry out your duty right now, which is to ensure that the burial goes as smoothly as possible and the eulogies are worked out well. So we don't want you to spend any time doing anything other than focusing on that. And that's why both of those reasons are reasons why you'd be exempt from doing So then is Shmira not a mitzvah in and of itself then? Because why can't you say, Osek mitzvah, Patrim in a mitzvah for both? Oh, very good. So, so just to explain the question a little bit better, we have a general principle that if someone's busy doing one mitzvah, then they're exempt from doing another mitzvah. So if Shmira in and of itself, the watching over a dead body, there's someone who passed away and you're the only person right now who's in a position to be that Shomer for the Chavrik Kedisha, so you should be exempt. So the thing is that we have a, that principle is only true when you can't do both, right? Over here, you're watching over this dead body, but why does that stop you from saying Shema? Right? Watching over the dead body doesn't entail anything other than just being in the room. Right? It's not like you have to be busy with something. So that would not exempt you from another mitzvah. We only say if the mitzvah that you're doing is going to butt up against the other mitzvah that you want to do. It's, one, it's either or. But over here, it's not either or. It's both. So why can't you do both? So we say that the reason why you can't do both is that it's disrespectful to the dead body. Okay. So So we see from here is that either if it's your dead relative, or if you're watching over a dead body, in. That is when you're exempt from mitzvahs. The implication would be that if you're actually walking in the cemetery, indeed you're obligated to do mitzvahs. Now, what's the problem with that? But Tanya, we learned in a brisa. 
A person should not walk in the Vesak Baris, in the cemetery, Utfilim Bereshen, filling on his head. The Sefer Torah of Israel, and he's holding the Sefer Torah in his right hand. Bekoira, and he's reading Shema. And Isaacan, and if he does that, Oiver Mishum, Loy Eg La Rush, Cheref Iseyu. He's over from this, it's not a, he's transgressed this prohibition. It's a prohibition based on a Pasuk in Proverbs, in Mishle. And the Pasuk says, you are mocking the poor person and you are cursing, one who mocks the poor person curses his creator, right? This is the concept that we say, right? you're mocking the poor person. You might have heard this phrase before. And that is a similar concept then to what we're referring to when we say that when you are a Shomer, you're not supposed to do mitzvah. So, so too, when you're in the cemetery. Now, the Gemara says, we kind of gave you what seemed to be a categorical list. This is what we got. We got Shomer and we got a dead relative. Nothing else would exempt you. But now we're saying, indeed, there is another thing if you're walking in the cemetery. So what is it exactly? Why don't we put this in our category too? So the Gemara answers, When you are within four Amas of a kever, of a grave, in the cemetery, then you are exempt from mitzvahs. But if you are more than four Amas away, you're obligated to do mitzvahs. How do we know this? The Amar Mar, because we have a statement from an Amora, Mace, Typhus dalat amas the kriyashma. A dead person, typhus, grabs four amas, four cubits, which is, let's say, six feet about, or a six foot square box around him. Should be a little more than six feet, actually, because to the diagonal, it will be seven, seven and three fifths, I guess. So he will take the four amas around him that if you're in those four amas, you're not supposed to say shema. Hacha over here, when it comes to watching over a dead body, or when it comes to someone who's in, oblig- in, in the position of obligated to bury a close relative. There's something qualitatively different. In the first two categories that we talked about, whether or not you're within four amas of the dead body is irrelevant to us, right? If you're in the same room, even if it's more than four amas, if you are the shomer, you're exempt from shema. If you are, if you're taking care of the dead body who you're going to be preparing for burial, then also you're exempt from shema, whether or not you're actually in the same house. It doesn't make a difference. In a cemetery, you're only exempt within the four amas of the dead person. Proof up. Gemara continues to discuss this topic. If you are watching over a dead body, even though it is not the dead body of the person who's watching it, exempt from Shema, and exempt from Shema, and from all of the mitzvahs that are described or mentioned in the Torah. Let's say you have two people. Two people watching over the dead body. One of them will stay with the dead body. The other one will walk out of the room and Kaira will read Shema. Then he'll come back in and take his shift of staying with the body. And the other one will go out of the room and say Shema. And Azay says, That's true if you're on dry land. However, if you're in a ship, that's an exception. If you're in a ship, both of these people who are the Shomer at the same time can go to one corner of the room and say Shema at the same time and leave the dead body on the other side of the room. So what's the difference between the Chachamim who believe that you can never have anybody take their attention off of the dead body and Ben Azai who says that you could have both of them take their attention as long as they're at sea on the ship. Amr Ravina, Ravina says, Ravina says, the concern is, the way Rashi explains, are we concerned for Akbarim, for mice, that might attack the dead body on a ship or not. So it seems like from this Gemara that the entire reason that we have a Shomer 
is really because we're concerned for mice that mice come to the mice, mice might come to the dead body and therefore we have a shomer in the room so the mice won't come and therefore on a ship where there might not be mice you don't have to be concerned for this and therefore there's a machlekes do we say that we are concerned for the possibility of mice on a ship or not now two points over here first of all um, I think there are mice on chips. I, I, don't, I don't think there's uh, any doubt about it, that there are mice on chips. So some people say that the mice that we're referring to here are really like mice, as in like demon type of mice, that we're not really mean mice, we mean demons. And the question is, for some reason, there wouldn't be demons over water. I think there's like a Yerushalmi that says something about the demons don't go over water, something along those lines. Another point is that Ramosha Feinstein says, don't think that the only reason why we safeguard bodies is just because of Akbarim. If that would be so, then if you have a hermetically sealed room, you wouldn't need to have any shomer at all. That's what Moshe says. You, you have a morgue that's hermetically sealed, you, you wouldn't need to have anybody sitting outside like with a, with a one-way window, or I guess you don't need a one-way window by a morgue. So he says that really you only needed to have, we, we went to the reason of mice to explain like this. If you have a mitzvah that you could be fulfilling, then the concern would be a mice concern. But if you don't even have a mitzvah, another mitzvah that you could possibly be fulfilling, then we'll say, no, you're busy doing the mitzvah of sitting in the room with the dead body. It's not just about the mice. It's also about the mitzvah of giving some sort of honor, some sort of respect to, to accompany them to their final resting place. If you're talking about demons and water, you really need to talk to some Sephardim. Need to talk to? Some Sephardim. Why, what does Sephardim say? They have lots of things about demons and water. <laughs> <laughs> for another time. I'll find out. I'll ask more. We're not allowed to share them with Ashkenazim, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> Alan, you're only a half spy. <laughs> you can't talk anyways. Okay. Amar, the Gemara continues. Let's say you are bringing bones from one place to another. Do not place these bones into a bag. Put them onto the chamar, onto the donkey, and then ride on top of these bones. Why? That would be very highly disrespectful to the bones to use them as your saddle. If you are afraid that these non-Jews or perhaps these highway robbers will decide they want to steal this bag from you, so you want to sit on top of it so nobody sees it, then mutter, then it will be permitted to do so. And the Gemara continues, And the same thing that they said by these bones, they also said by a Sefer Torah, the same halacha. The Gemara asks, Ahai, what, in regards to what? If it's on the beginning of this, of this brisa that says that you're not supposed to put the bones in a bag and then sit on top of them, obviously you're not supposed to put a Sefer Torah in a bag and sit on top of them. Would we possibly think that a Sefer Torah is less holy than bones of a body? And if bones you're not supposed to sit on top of, of course you're not supposed to sit on top of the Sefer Torah. So what is the Chiddush when we say that the same halacha applies to the Sefer Torah? What we mean to say is, Ella we mean to say that the halacha, that in a specific scenario where you're afraid of robbers, or you're afraid of non-Jews who might steal it, then you're even permitted to sit on top of the Sefer Torah so that they don't, it doesn't get stolen. Amar Achava, Amar of Yehuda, Achava says name of Yehuda, Kol If anybody is in a scenario where they see the dead body passing by on its way to a funeral, and you don't walk behind it at all, you have violated this command of mocking the poor person and you're literally considered as one who has cursed the creator, right? Because what are you doing? You're saying, here's a dead body, a person who Hashem has created, and now they're going back to the final resting place. And I don't care enough about Hashem's creations to even walk behind it at all. What you're really doing is it's a slap in the face of Hashem, so to speak. 
Now, if you do walk behind it, maschare, what's the merit for one who walks behind a dead person at a funeral? Amr Asi Asi says, all of Aimer on him, the Pasuk teaches us, Melava Hashem Dal. So we read it like this. If you are dal, if you give something to the poor, you're you're a malva Hashem. You are one who lends to Hashem, so to speak, right? Not not literally, but figuratively, you're one who has lent to Hashem, and Hashem will repay your kindness about doing kindness to a dead body, to a dead person, where there's not going to be any return on that kindness. And one who who gives does kindness to an evyon to a, a pauper, they are considered one who has honored Hashem. By the way, from here on till the end of the next summit, we're going to have some seriously spooky conversations. Um, so what happens is like this. Rukhiya and Rabbi son are going back and forth in the Beisak Faris. Have a kashadya chelasa de Rabbi son. The tzitzis of Rabbi son are dragging on the floor. Amalei Rabbi Chiyya. Rabbi Chiyya says to him, Dalia kedei shalayimru lamachar ba'en etzleinu ve'achshav mecharpen etzanu. He says, pick up your tzitzis. They're dragging on the floor and we do not want the people who are dead to be saying, oh, tomorrow they're going to be joining us here and now they're they're uh, cursing us out. What does it mean? What it means is that we're... we're we're showing it, we're shoving it in their face that we can accomplish the mitzvah of tzitzis and they can no longer accomplish that mitzvah. So Rabbi told Rabbi Yenison, stop doing this. Amar Leh, Rabbi Yenison says back to Rabbi Yenison, and do the dead people really know everything that's going on on earth? We have a Pasuk. Pasuk says, Pasuk literally means, and the dead people don't know anything. He says the dead people don't know anything, so they don't know what's going on on earth. I don't have to be concerned that it happens to be going over the place where that body is buried. Amar Leir Rukhiya says to him, Im Karisa Leishanisa. If you read that Pasuk once, you didn't read it twice. Im Shanisa Leishilashta. If you read it twice, you didn't read it three times. Im Shilashta Leipirshalacha. And what can I tell you? If you read it three times, you missed the boat, because that's not what the Pasuk means. Kia Chaim Yoidim Sheyamusu Elu Tzadikim Shemimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimim
That was Rebchia's answer to Rabbi Yenison, who explained to him that indeed the dead people know what's going on because you misunderstood that Pasek. But now we're going to get into a segue about proving how it is that we call people who are tzaddikim, even after they die, we still call them alive. Turning the page now to 18b. It's a big page, but it's, don't be intimidated. It's a lot of stories. Ben Ishchai, the Gemara says, we describe him as the son of a living man, and the rest of the world are not sons of living men. Some people are sons of living men, some people are sons of, of not living men. So why are we describing him specifically as the son of a living man? Ella ben Ishchai, what we mean to say is that he is the son of a living man, that even after Yehayada died, he's still called a one who is alive. Why? Because he's a righteous person. Once we start analyzing that pasuk, we analyze the rest of it as well. So Rav, many Pa'alim actions or deeds, Mekabtel, from Kabtel, which is the name of a place, Shariba Bekabetz Pa'alim, Bekibetz Pa'alim Litaira. What this means is that he increased and gathered together many actions, the Torah, for the sake of Torah, right? So it's really, we're, we're, we made this word into a contraction of Mekabetz Kel, right? So he gathers for Hashem. And that's how we understand what the Pasuk is trying to teach us. And he hit the two lions of Moab. What is this referring to? Right? He did not leave anybody like him, not in the times of the entire Beis HaMikdash Rishon and the entire Beis HaMikdash Sheni. Why, why does the Beis HaMikdash have to do with Ariel? Because Ariel is one of the names for the Beis HaMikdash. So what we mean to say is not that he actually hit anyone, but he left behind nobody who was anything on par with him, not in the times of the first Beis HaMikdash, not in the times of the second Beis HaMikdash. Now, how do we analyze the last part of this passing? He went down and he hit the lion in, in the in midst of this bar of the pit, on the day of the snow. What's this referring to? Some people say he went down to a frozen river and he smashed a hole in it and he went and used it for, for the mikvah purposes. And other people say, and some people say that he said over the entire sifra, the sifra is the, the halachic medrash on Bayikra, and it, the Bay Rav that was said over in the base medrash of Rav, and he managed to say over the entire sifra from beginning to end, by heart, on a short winter day. So either way, what we're describing about him is something that makes him not comparable, you know, just incomparable to everybody else who came before and after him. Okay, Gemara goes back to the earlier conversation. This is referring to wicked people. That even when they're still alive, we call them dead. As it says, What we're describing over here is like this. We're saying, that halal means an empty thing. It's referring to a corpse that's empty. And you, halal rasha, nasi Yisrael, the prince of Israel, are a halal rasha, are an, a wicked corpse, right? This is actually referring to Melach Tzidkiyo, who really was a righteous man, but there were people who were not righteous, and he's blamed for not having done a better job giving them Musr and convincing them that they should become righteous people. And therefore, we describe him as if he is dead, even while he's still alive. Let's prove it from a different place. From a different place. What's the second place? We're talking about someone who has been sentenced to capital punishment for <coughs> having done something wrong. We have two witnesses' testimony or three witnesses' testimony. You must kill the dead man. Mara asks, he's not dead, he's living right now. Once the Bezdin has passed, once the Bezdin passed the rule that he's dead, we see that he's a wicked person, he's going to die, and he, he deserves to die for having been a wicked person, we actually can call him a dead person even before he dies. Rishayim are called dead people. 
His sons of Rebchia went out to the villages. They forgot their Torah learning. They were feeling awful. They forgot their Torah learning and they were painting themselves to try to remember what they had forgotten. One of them said to, one of the brothers says to his other brother, You think Abba knows what sort of pain we're in? Their father is no longer alive. And they're asking, is Abba still aware of what sort of pain we're going in? The other brother says to him, How could he possibly know? The Pasuk in Eev says, his sons will be honored and he will no longer know because he's not, on, he does, he's not in this world and he doesn't know what's going on in this world, right? Seeming to be the opinion of Rabbi Yonasan that we said earlier that dead people do not know what's happening in this world. The other son said to him, is that true that he doesn't know? It says in a different Pasuk, it says that his so I met a dead person again. It says that the his his um on top of his uh his his flesh he will be pained and his spirit will be mourning for his dead body, right? So it seems to imply that after he's dead, he's still thinking about his flesh. But I'm maybe Yitzchak says, that the rima, the worminess and, and the, the maggots and the spoiling of the decomposing of a body that happens after death is as painful for the soul as it is, as is the a needle being stuck into a live being, right? So we see from here that dead people are aware of what's going on in this world after they die. So Amri, so he said back to him, but Zaira did who? Maybe they are aware of the pain that's happening to their own body. But Zaira da'achrina la'yadi, but who's to say that they're aware of the pain that we're going in through right now, us, their sons, maybe they're not aware. Maybe they're only enough connected to their body that they can sense things after death. But maybe they're not enough connected to their sons that they can sense the pain they're going through after death. And is that true that they don't sense the pain of others? We learned in a Baisa. There was once a righteous man. It was a very difficult year, very poor year. And no matter what, though, he, he made sure an ani, a poor person came to him an Arab Hashanah and he gave him a dinar, a very large sum of money. Now, his wife is not happy with this. His wife started fighting with him about this. He, she got so angry at him, he did not go sleep on the couch. He went to sleep in the cemetery that night. And he hears two voices speaking to each other. One voice says to her friend, right? Rash explains that these were two young girls. Let's go around the world and we'll listen from behind the curtain. What sort of bad things are going to be coming to this world? Behind the curtain, what they're referring to is they would go listen to, so to speak, Hashem and his Bezdin deciding what the judgment is going to be for this world. It was Rosh Hashanah. It was a good time to go listen to what the judgment is going to be. Amra, so she said to her friend, I was buried in a reed mat. And buried in a reed mat, it's not appropriate for me to come forward because I was buried in a reed mat. Go by yourself. And that which you hear from the other side of the curtain, I'm really, tell me, she went, and she flew, and she came, and she came back and she said, sorry, her friend said to her, what did you end up hearing when you went to the throne room? She said to her, anybody who plants in the first revia, in the first uh, quarter of the year, 
the hail is going to come and fall and destroy anybody who plants in the first quarter of the year. So what did he do? He went and he planted in the second quarter of the year. Everybody else's plantings were destroyed because the hail fell and destroyed it. His stuff was not destroyed. The next year, once again, he went, he said, you know what? I'm going to go lie down in the Besak Baris in Rosh Hashanah because I want to find out what the, what's going to happen this year. And he hears these two spirits, that they're speaking one to the other. One of them says to his friend, let's go fly into the world and hear from the other side of the curtain. What sort of bad things are going to come to this world? To the world, you know, the world we're in. Didn't I already tell you? I'm buried in a reed mat. I can't come with you. Go by yourself. You should go, listen to what they say, and then come back and tell me. She went, she flew, she came back. What did you hear from the other side of the curtain? She said to her, Anybody who plants in the second quarter of this year, there'll be some sort of a blight that comes to plants. The Gemara in Bavmetzia tells us this was some sort of you know, plague that would happen to the plants and all the plants would, would, get, would go bad for whatever reason, maybe due to hot weather or some sort of uh, evil wind that would cause the plants to go bad. So she said, I heard that in the second quarter, anybody who plants, they're going to go bad. So So this year, now he went and planted in the first quarter. Everybody else said, oh, he was so smart. He planted in the first quarter last year. I'm sorry, second quarter last year. So they all planted in the second quarter. But he planted only in the first quarter by himself. Everybody else's plants were destroyed. And his plant was not destroyed. His wife said to him, Why is it that last year everybody else's plants were destroyed, yours were not? And then this year everybody's plants were destroyed by this blight, and yours weren't, right? Now, she should have maybe thought to herself, perhaps because my husband actually is a righteous person, but that thought did not cross her mind. And therefore, she said there must be some secret here. So he told her everything that had happened. There was not too long before this woman, who's a little bit of a fighter, gets into a fight. The wife of the righteous man gets into a fight with the mother of the person who was buried in the reed mats. She said to her, well, let me go show you your daughter who was buried in a reed mat. Right? A pretty nasty low blow. The Shana Acheres, the next year, Halach Velon, this righteous man comes on Rosh Hashanah again. Velon Mabesak Baris, he comes to go to sleep in the Mesak Baris. The Shama Oisin Ruches, and he hears the two spirits talking. Shama Snap Zoom Zoom, they're speaking with each other. Amrullah, Chaverti, Bayev, and Ashat Ba'elam, and Ishma Mechayab Haggits, come with me and we'll go here. What's going to happen on the other side of the current? What's going to happen to the world? Mapuran Spala Elam. Interesting that she's asking for the third time. I guess she maybe she was hoping that the reed mat would have decomposed by now and it wouldn't be such an issue anymore. I'm not sure. So the woman says back to her, my friend, the matters that we are discussing between you and I have been heard by the people in the world. So what is the Gemara trying to do with this? The Gemara is trying to say, Alma, Yadi, we see that the people who are dead, they know what's going on in the world. Because otherwise, how would she possibly have found out that people are discussing what they are giving over in this world? Dilma in a shachrina, shachiva azal. The Gemara says, that's not such a clear proof. Maybe what happened is somebody who had heard this whole story while they were alive died. And once they died, then they told them this story. And then these two girls found out the story. Then they felt we can no longer discuss our conversations because it's affecting people in the world.
So that proof has been disproved. It's not a proof necessarily that people who are dead know what's going on in this world. Maybe they only know what's going on when somebody who has died after them comes up and tells them what happened. Hashema, let's bring you another proof. Haziri would leave his money by a specific uh, hotel keeper. Until he went and came to the base Medrash, Shechiva, she died. So he went after to the Chatzimavas to unclear what Chatzimavas means, the courtyard of the dead. It means either a literal sense that he went to the cemetery or it means that he went into some sort of spiritual realm to ask her what happened. Amalai said to her, Zuzi Hecha, where am I? Where's the money I gave you? Amalai, she said to him, Zil Shakilna, go take it. She said, go take it from underneath the doorway in a specific place. The aim Allah the Ima and tell my mother, Tishtarli, Misrakoi Vigovsai to Kuchla, Bahadi Planisa de Asilamacher. Said, Tell my mother to send with this fellow who's going to be dying tomorrow. Do me a favor, send my makeup kit with this fellow who's dying tomorrow. Almayadi, we see they know what's going to happen in this world, because otherwise, how did she know that this fellow is going to die tomorrow? Mara says, Dilma Duma Kadimumachristo. Maybe Duma, who's the Malachamavas' assistant, came and tells them, You know what? Tomorrow we're going to be getting a new crop, and this is who's going to be part of that new crop. So there's no proof that they really know what's going on in this world. Maybe it's only this specific thing that they know what's going on in this world. When someone's going to die tomorrow, that they know. Nothing else would they know. And therefore, Rav Chia wouldn't know that his sons are feeling bad that they forgot their Torah. Tashima, let's bring you another proof. The father of Shmuel, they, he was a very trustworthy guy, and they gave him money of Yusayimim, of orphans, to watch over. When he died, Shmuel was not with him. And therefore, they didn't know where this money was hidden. They couldn't find the money, and they started calling Shmuel the one who eats the money of the assignment, the money of the poor people, because they thought his father must have stolen the money. He came after to the courtyard of death. He told them, I need my father. There are many fathers here. I'm sorry, not just father. In this context, Shmuel's father's name actually was Abba. So he says, I need Abba. So they say, there are many fathers here. Perhaps it's a play on words that they said there are many people's fathers here. Or maybe they just mean there are many people here whose name is father. Amar Luhu said to them, Bina Abba bar Abba. I need a father who's the son of a father, right? That wouldn't have helped any matter. So clearly at that point, he was saying, I need my father, who happens to be a, an interesting name. His father's name was Abba. And his grandfather's name was also Abba. So that would actually be a pretty strong identifying characteristic of this person. Amar Lehi. So no, even that, there's many of them here. I need the person whose name is Abba Bar Abba, and he is also the father of Shmuel. Hecha, where is he? Amrulay, they said to him, Saliklam Sifta Durakia. You gotta go to the heavenly Yeshiva, the Yeshiva Shalmaila, what we call the Yeshiva that is in heaven. And up there you'll find him. Adahaki, he went up. Chazila Levi, he sees Levi, the Yosef Abaroi, he sees Levi sitting outside the Bismarck. She's not inside the Bismarck with the rest of the people who are learning Torah. Amalei said to him, Why are you sitting outside? Why don't you go inside? Amalei, they said to me, The entire time period, there are many years when I did not go to learn in this yeshiva of Rabbi Apis, and I caused him some sort of some sort of weakness in his mind. I caused him pain. I didn't go there. However many years I didn't go, that's so many years I'm going to have to wait before I get to go into the yeshiva Shamayla. Until at this point, 
He finds his father. He sees his father is crying and also laughing at the same time. He says to his father, Why are you crying? Because soon you're going to be coming up here too. Why are you smiling or laughing? Because you are accounted to be a very righteous person in this world and I'm proud and getting nachas for this. He says so. If I'm really such a righteous person and I got some merit, then do me a favor and take Levi and put him into the Vesmajrish. And they put Levi into the Vesmajrish. They got, they got him a shortcut. He did not need to wait the entire time that he's supposed to wait. Amar Leis, then he says to his father, listen, this is what I'm here for. Zuzidi asked me, Hecha, where is the money of the assignment that you were watching over? Amar Leis said to him, Zil Shakil go into the mill house and underneath the millstone, there is a bag of money. Eloi betatoi didan. The bottom part of the bag of money and the top part of the bag of money belongs to you. Ras. Umitsoi, he asked me, the middle part of the bag belongs to the orphans. Amalei says to him, my time about the Hachi, why did you set it up like that? Amalei said to him, Iganuve, Ganve, Migdavu, Mididan. If they would have stolen it, he would have stolen it from the top down and he would have ended up just stealing the top layer, which is which is ours. He would have stolen the assignments layer. If the ground that needed starts decomposing and the money would start falling into the earth, once again, they would have gotten from the lower part of the money, which is our money. But the, the middle money would not have gone over. So that explained where the money was. Now, but what do we see from here? We see from here that they know what's going to happen in the future. They, I'm sorry, not that they know what's going to happen in the future. They know what's happening on earth, right? He says to his son, I know that you're coming here soon. Alma diyadi you see that they know what's happening on earth. So this should be a definitive proof. Not so clear, right? Because even though we said earlier that there was this concept of Duma, and Duma would tell them beforehand if someone was dying tomorrow, Shmuel was not going to die tomorrow. Shmuel was dying in a while. So the fact that the father knew that Shmuel was going to be dying, that tells us that they know what's happening on earth. Gemara says, maybe not necessarily. Maybe even though Duma normally comes for your typical person the day before, but for Shmuel, who's a very righteous person and needs a special spot, they would say, with clear space, clear space, because Shmuel is going to be coming soon. So that's not a proof that Rebchia would necessarily know that his sons are in pain because they forgot their Torah in this world. The Gemara says, even Rebchia's son, who said earlier, seemed to disagree with Rebchia and did not have a problem with letting his tzitzit strings drag on the floor of the cemetery, and Rebchia had to rebuke him for doing so. Rebchia's son actually, later on, he was chazer. He retracts his opinion. Why? The Amr of Shmuel by Nachamini, the Amr of Yenison, Shmuel by Nachamini says in the name of Rebchia's son, How do we know that dead people are speaking to each other? As it says, so it's in Dvarim, and Hashem is speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu. He says, this land that I swore to give to Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Lamar, same. My Lamar, what does it mean, same? Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu L'Moshe. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying to Moshe, Leich Amar Lehem, L'Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Go to tell Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Shvu Hashem, Shpati Lechem. The oath that I swore to you, that God swore to Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Kvar Ki Amtiya, I have now fulfilled the Levinechem to your sons. Now, Gemara is going to, Try to explain what the proof is. If we say they don't know what's happening on this world and they have no connection to this world, that means if they have no connection to this world, that means they don't care what's happening in this world. So why would they care that Hashem fulfilled His promise to them to to give the land of Israel to their children? It's not relevant to them anymore. Elamai, the others. Then what are you in common? You tell me clearly that they do know what's happening in this world. But if they know what's happening in this world, then why does Hashem even need to tell them? Oh, I'm fulfilled my promise. Well, they actually know what's happening in this world. They actually care what's happening in this world. They actually know already that Hashem is giving the land of Israel to 
Bnei Yisrael. So they don't need Moshe Rabbeinu to tell them this. Because Hashem wanted that they should understand how much they owe to Moshe. That Moshe Rabbeinu is the one who managed to take the Bnei Yisrael from Mitzrayim and all the way up to the land of Israel. So the three patriarchs who should be very grateful to Moshe for having taken their descendants and brought them up to the land of Israel. And it could be they did know, and even so, Hashem would still want to let them know. So as of now, I don't, I don't think we really have a definitive answer how much dead people know in the world to come. But um, Why don't they use Rachel? Rachel Mevakal, but now has not... It's a it's not a Gemara, it's a Medrash, but that, that's a good point, right? So there's a very famous Medrash that Yaakov was referencing, which is that when we're leaving Babel, so everybody is, the, the Malach of, of Israel is crying out to all of the patriarchs to say, Daven to Hashem, and, and they Daven to Hashem, and Hashem says, I'm not listening to you, I'm not listening to you, I'm not listening to you. And then finally they get up to Rachel, and Rachel says, listen, Hashem, it's true that they worshipped Abu Dazara, and it's true that they took rivals into the base of Mikdash to you. But Hashem, I took rivals into my own house. I took Leah, my older sister, into my own house. And my children now are crying. And it's true that they cheated on you, but give them another chance. And, and to that, Hashem says, yes, I'll give them another chance. So clearly that seems to indicate that Rachel was aware of what was happening in this world. I, I hear, I hear. I, it's a good question. It happens to be that story is not in the Gemara. It's in a Medrash. So I don't know if that means that the Gemara argues on that, or perhaps that's more metaphor and not as literal. And these things are meant to be understood more literally. I, I'm not sure, right? I'm not sure exactly how to take that. So, but that's a good question too. I don't know how to take any of this. So. <laughs> right, no, so that's what I'm saying. No, in, in reality, I'm not sure how much any of this is supposed to be literal. I'm sure if yeah. it went through the Vilna Gaian, I'm sure they're not going to understand all this in a very literal sense. But we're giving some sort of message about awareness of dead people. Whereas in the story of Rachel, I think it's very likely the story of Rachel is really just trying to bring out a poignant point about our relationship with Hashem. Does it literally mean that Rachel is literally doing that? I don't even think the story means that, but I don't know. I'm not sure. Okay. The only, the only, the only yeah. one thing we actually know from all these Gemaras was that the guy who went to the cemetery wasn't a column. Uh, <laughs> that's true. That's a good point there. That's true. <laughs> okay. Take care, guys. Good night.